This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Welcome to Militantly Mix, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. And you could probably tell from my voice, I'm actually very sick right now. I was trying to hold on to recording my intro for this episode to the last possible minute, hopefully that I would feel better by the time it was time to record it, but I don't. Um, so hopefully you can uh, bear with me with this voice and everything. Um, this is a special episode of Militantly Mix because it is a crossover episode with uh, the host of Black Radical Queer, Javia Nicole, my partner in pod. About six or so, six months ago or so, uh, I had hit her up along with a few other ladies in this um, shared interest group that Javi and I are both members of um, to talk about possibly putting together a mental health podcast for people of color uh, because we tend to deal with mental health quite a bit differently in our communities than the mainstream does. And um, Javi agreed to work on me with it, which is great because she has a background in wellness and counseling and uh, she just has a wealth of knowledge on this topic. I really only come from it from the, an experience having been a person that has dealt with um, chronic, uh, per, uh, sorry, chronic persistent depression throughout most of my life, including a current bout of major depression, which I've been in for quite a while. And um, um, so I can talk about it more from a personal standpoint. She can talk about it from both a personal and a professional standpoint. And I think that um, the topics that we will go over as we have future segments can be really helpful to our community. And she's just a person, like I've said before on the show, that I'm a huge fan of. I love being a producer of her show. I love being a fan of her show. I'm a fan of her in real life. If you don't currently listen to Black Radical Queer, that is how you're going to have to listen to the first part of this episode. Um, so go over to Black Radical Queer. It's on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you are getting your podcast. And you can listen to part one of our discussion. Our first episode of Mind on My Melanin, which is what these special segments are called, will be uh, dealing with depression and anxiety. First part is on her podcast. And then you can jump over after you finish listening to that. You can jump over here to listen to part two, which is um, just a continuation of the same conversation. Actually, we didn't really have a clean break spot. So it's just kind of ends abruptly on her side and then begins abruptly on my side. Um, so, yes, please do go over and listen to the part one of the show there. And um, hopefully, if you like what you hear, you will sample a few more episodes of Black Radical Queer because it is an amazing show. I think I said before, you do not need to be Black Radical or Queer to be a fan of the show because there's a wealth of information across all different types of topics on that show. So please check it out. If you are coming to Militantly Mix from Black Black Radical Queer and you haven't had a chance to be exposed to our show as well. Hope you do dabble in some of our episodes because we cover um, a different, a unique perspective of, you know, maneuvering through life as mixed race people. And um, we have some really great guests with amazing stories. So I do hope that if you like what you hear between Javi and I, that you will check out our individual podcasts and see what you may like about those because they both offer a very unique perspective that I think is important for people to hear. And since I am feeling under the weather. I won't go too far 
into additional news, I'll just say, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review to Black Radical Queer and Militantly Mixed on iTunes or wherever you are listening to your podcast. It does help us get into more ears if uh, more people do subscribe. We are also on YouTube, so check us out on there. Just do a Google search for us there. Subscribe there. And for Militantly Mixed fans, if you want to sponsor the show, please go over to patreon.com slash militantly mixed and give us a little bit of a donation to help keep us going or you can also go to paypal.me slash militantly mixed and that will help us keep going as well um we're doing pretty good but we could always use more it'll help us um improve the show and keep the show going so yeah i think that's it i'm out of breath just from that few minutes of talking and um and if you haven't had a chance already or you have you've heard the other episode you're just ready to get into this conversation so without further ado here is part two of mind on my melanin with javia nicole and myself about depression stigma around just showing your emotions and just you know it's very gendered it's very but it's interesting mm-hmm. to me because it's like you know being quote-unquote emotional is seen as feminine but not for not for black women you know it's no. like it's okay really not for anybody except white women white women can be emotional that's it right because not, if you're Latin, <laughs> no if else. you're latina then you're you're spicy or you're fiery if you're black right. you're you know angry or you're ghetto yeah. if you're you know and even if you like never step foot near a ghetto just being an angry black woman just being a black woman who happens to be angry, you are somehow this, you know, manifestation of ghetto-ness. Right. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's justified. And that's right. the thing. It shows and the it difference. Mostly you it shows isn't. that anti-blackness is so real, though. Anti-blackness is so real because if you look at if they say, oh, if a Latina woman um, has a certain type of attitude, they're like, oh, she's feisty and she's, mm-hmm. you know, or even a white woman, oh, she's sassy. And those are still seen as acceptable. And for a black woman, she's angry. Yep. She's um, She likes to uh, invoke conflict. Like she's confrontational. That's what I was looking for. She's confrontational. Those kind of things. So on we the are Asian so side wow. too, it's that you're not even like talk about erasure. You are oh, a, yeah. a, dem- a demure house, you know, <laughs> keeping, Me? or you're a sexual, you know, entity. But you tell me one thing you've ever seen that allowed an uh, angry Asian woman, right? Where it no, wasn't supposed- like her policing her children. That kind you're of supposed- anger is okay. You're supposed to be meek. It's supposed to be like, oh, well, they even, that's exoticized. That's fetishized, really, is that like, oh, well, Asian women are meek and they're docile and all this kind of stuff and they're easier to deal with and all that kind of stuff. So it is, you know, this very limited, we have these very we have very, like, strict constraints on what we can and cannot show. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so that is a big part of it. That is a big part of um, how you, how 
your experience goes with depression because it's like, okay, if I'm feeling depressed, but I also feel this pressure to hide it. Like I feel this pressure to fake it, to, you know, pretend that I don't mm-hmm. feel this way, um, which does not help because then it's like, okay, now I feel this pressure. I got to perform. Right. And that's making me even more tired. I'm more drained. It's, you know, triggering anxiety. It's doing all these things. Because for um, us, it's also not just that we're just depressed or we're sad or we're having all these things. It's that we also have the weight of our entire racial groups on us if we react publicly. Because you know right. that as a person of color, no matter what, whatever non-white it is, if you're outwardly presenting as angry or sad or depressed, then it's like, oh, there goes that angry black woman again. There goes that this. There goes that right. that, that feisty Latino woman. Like, we carry the weight of our entire race on us whenever we exhibit any kind of behavior. But well, white people don't seem to do that. They don't seem to get yeah. that. They're the only ones who are not a monolith. Like, yeah. <laughs> they get the individuals. And, and I've talked about that on my podcast, too. I'm like, yeah, they get to, like, live their lives and be individuals and have childhoods and do all these things that are really simple um, that we don't get to do. But the thing with depression specifically is it's it's already it's already individually hard to navigate. It's already mm-hmm. something that's major to deal with on a personal level. But also when you are living in a society, we're in a capitalist society. We're in a um, very individualistic, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, um, you know, go, 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 work, work, work type of um, type of society. Mm-hmm. And so when you're depressed and you're you have less interest in things, you're struggling to get out the bed, um, you're you're not sleeping well. It's even something as simple as you're not sleeping well. So if you're fatigued mm-hmm. and so you are not functioning in a society in a way that's seen as productive or meaningful or significant because you're tired. And so when I was, when I had about a major depression that lasted two years, um, when I moved out, when I relocated, yeah, I would say probably it lasted about two years. That was a huge thing for me. I'm very much used to working. I'm used to being a worker. I'm used to being productive. I'm used to getting results. I'm used to um, relying a lot on my intelligence and like um, excelling in things like school, excelling in things that required a lot of mental capacity Mm -hmm. and dealing with major depression. I hadn't I hadn't had a bout of major depression probably since I was a lot younger. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had other things operating, but um, for this time, it was definitely about a major. I mean, I I mean, I went and did Psyche Val and everything. It was like, yeah, shit was hardcore. Um, and for me, it was so different because I felt so drained. It was the first time I had ever had the experience of like, oh, I'm struggling to get out of the bed. And it was really hard for me because I was struggling with working. And um, I was working a job that um, the hours were already the hours were already kind of like, eh, I don't know how to like just not super consistent per se. Like it, we, it the shit, it, it just was interesting how they did it. So it didn't really help. And um, I just felt it was a struggle. It was a struggle um, to go to work. It was a it was a struggle. Um, and that I was not accustomed to that because I was used to even dealing with persistent depression. I went to work. I worked full time. I worked overtime. You know, I went to grad school. I did this thing in the midst of, you know, that depression. So um, with the major bout of depression, I, oh my, it took me out. Yeah, It took me out. And so that terrified me because I had never experienced it to that level, um, to that degree before. And I didn't know what to do. I was just like, I'm struggling to do everyday things. Like I'm struggling to get out of bed and go take a shower. Yeah. I'm struggling to you know, eat like, and I already have issues with, and that's one of my, the eating thing is already one of my chronic things with 
persistent depression is like mm-hmm. making myself eat more than once a day. But I was just like, it would be some days I'll be at home and I would realize it would be like 5 p.m. and I realized I hadn't eaten. Yeah, that happens to me sometimes too. That's it's yeah. kind of crazy. What I'm in, what I'm going through right now is very close to what you're saying. It's that thing of, you know, and I go through waves. Sometimes I can't get out of bed. Sometimes I, sometimes I am motivated to try to do something. Um, it kind of goes back and forth. But um, so last summer I dealt with the, an issue at the, at the position that I was at and I was laid off and it was a really tragic situation for me because uh, I put, a, I roll a lot of value of my own personhood into what I'm doing for a living. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when that situation happened, um, it, it leveled me like and what was weird is that I walked away from it thinking it wasn't like I was totally fine and it but it came crashing down for me a few days later and and there was you know sort of panic that set in a lot of anxiety and things and um and it's it's had an impact that's big enough that it's it's made it difficult for me to find another position so it's been I've crossed over a year since I've actually had um any kind of gainful employment. I've done a little freelance thing or whatever. And of, of course, I'm trying to start this business. Um, but I, I'm at that point again, where I know I have to go back to work soon, just to be able to sustain while I continue to build the business. And my, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to do that. Because I like my I know we're not talking about anxiety on this one, but my anxiety is up higher than I think it's ever been in my life. And whenever I get super, super anxious, that's when the major depression starts to kick in. Um, you know, that's when I start to be flattened and I'm, I'm right. on the couch and I can't seem to move. And that can be days, that could be weeks, you know, um, I've been a little bit luckier in the last couple months because I have the podcast and the business to to be motivating that even when I am feeling pretty dark, I can still seem to drag myself to the desk. Um, I've only had a few days since we've started working together that I've I hadn't been able to, you know, function or move. Uh, But that fear of, you know, that old fear of what it means to to try to be in a professional space while dealing with high uh, major depression and high anxiety uh, is really is really getting to me right now. And again, and, but I can hear it in my voice. I can hear this thing that I do where I talk about it and I, it's way more serious than I'm, than my voice is reflecting. You know, I, I kick into that like really monotone sort of way of, of dealing with it where it's just like, yeah, this is just a thing that is going on in my life and I am a robot, but really inside I'm just like in complete turmoil over what's happening. Um, that's that weird place that, uh, I would like to get out of. It's one of the things, it's kind of why I wanted to to start doing the Mind on Melanin is I, I wanted to, through our conversations or through whoever we managed to talk to, um, you know, that I would find some kind of way to right. break out of those things that are kind of holding, you know, holding me down um, in my depression. But there's also the part where I think, you know, there's some things, because I keep hitting this wall where I'm being told by, by yet another therapist, okay, now we've gotten to a point where you're not improving beyond this one point. It's mm-hmm. Same point. I've never been able to improve beyond. And I'm trying to, you know, I'm a very pessimistic person. And I can't tell if that's because I'm a, you know, because I suffer from depression or because that it right me by nature. Um, Right. So I feel like I get stuck. Like, okay, uh, this is the same exact space that I keep getting stuck. I'm not a kind of person that medication works for. Um, I have the sleep problem. The only thing that even remotely helps me with sleep on occasion is medical cannabis. Um, But it's not something if I take, I can't take more than once in a row for it to be 
be effective. Right. I have a medication tolerance issue, so pretty mm-hmm. much I can use something one time and then I can't use it again. You got to wait, so, right? Yeah, um, for it to be useful. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, my tolerance can happen within hours. <laughs> like right. I can even with alcohol, which I I don't really like to drink, but if I do happen to have a drink, it could be out of my system in an hour. It's just like it's one of those things I my body chemistry pushes things out so medication's right. not effective and um and to be in this place where it's like counseling doesn't it helps but it doesn't fix medication doesn't help or fix uh exercise yes and no i, I tend to be I, I tend to have higher anxiety when i'm exercising than when i'm not <laughs> which is a whole nother thing. So there's like no win. At least I feel like I've gotten to this place where there's no win and it's just to keep chugging and at this acceptance that this is the level I'm going to be at. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the thing about, I mean, that's kind of what comes with the territory with the persistent depressive disorder, but also that's the thing about comorbidity. So when you have, um, well, okay. So comorbidity, you probably already know, but just for people who don't know, it's like when you have more than one medical condition, operating at the same time. So, and a lot of things are um, kind of uh, present with that comorbidity um, pretty frequently or like pretty commonly. Things like depression and anxiety. Um, A lot of times people will have both or even, um, but it it applies to anything, even if someone has like a heart heart condition and diabetes or whatever. So it's two things um, that exist, you know, two medical things that are existing at the same time. And um, the thing about the comorbidity is they can impact each other um, or they can trigger each other. So with depression and anxiety, um, and I won't go too much into anxiety because I'm sure we'll have to like do another episode for that. (laughs) But um, the thing is, it's like with depression, depression can trigger anxiety, anxiety can trigger depression. Um, So that can leave you in this loop. You know, it can be a loop when, when mm-hmm. those things coexist with each other. Um, and then the other thing too is with the persistent depressive disorder, it's kind of like the, to a certain extent because it is persistent and because it is long-term, then you have to get to this point where you kind of come to terms with it. Um, if there, if certain things don't work for you, because for some people they may find a treatment that works for them, but for some people um, that's not the case. And I feel like for me, my, and it could just be a matter of like my brain chemistry has been so impacted that um, it just is what it is. And I have to kind of reconcile with myself, like, hey, I'm depressed. I'm going to be depressed for the rest of my life. Um, And it's just something that, of course, I'm not happy about. It really is honestly something (laughs) that's depressing for me. Um, I know it does. But um, so, um, but yeah, but with the persistent depressive disorder, um, I was forced to, I've been forced to come to terms with the fact that I'm going to be depressed for the rest of my life. um, And that just is what it is, even with treatment. Um, And that's not necessarily the case for everybody. I mean, um, even with the with persistent depressive disorder, like you may undergo treatment and it may help. Um, and, you know, you go on because the really what makes it persistent is like, OK, is it at least two years and blah, blah, blah. But for me, um, I have tried treatment um, and it did help. But it's something where um, it's more of a this helps when it's uh, well, no. OK, I take that back. The treatment helped my major depression. The treatment did help the major depression, but not mm-hmm. the persistent depression. Okay. And um, my issue with um, I'm not medicated. Um, I do have a high tolerance for things. Um, and I'm also, for me, when I did my psyche fell and I thought, and I went over kind of like the benefits and everything of the medication, I didn't feel like for me, it was personally worth it. Um, that Same. I didn't feel like the risks and the side effects were worth it for me right. because, um, because I'm like, okay, if I can function, 
um, not just like just get by, but if I can actually be in a place where I'm highly functioning um, and still dealing with a persistent depressive disorder, I'm okay with that as opposed to being medicated for the rest of my life. Um, that for me, that didn't work because um, not only do I have the high tolerance, but um, for me, uh, like suicidal ideations, suicidal thoughts and stuff ha- are not have not been characteristic of my depression. Mm. Um, I have definitely been, even with my major depression, did I feel hopeless? Absolutely. Like I felt, and and that was the difference for me because with my persistent depression, I don't necessarily feel hopeless. I do feel, um, I feel a lot of things, but not necessarily hopeless. With the major depression, I felt hopeless, but I did not want to die. I still very much, that's really like the only thing I had was like, I do want to live. Like I wanted to live because I wanted to, um, yeah, I just, I didn't want to die. So, but with sometimes with medication, um, one of the side, one of the possibilities, one of the side effects um, could be like, you know, kind of triggering those suicidal thoughts and stuff like that. And um, just after doing some research and talking it over, um, you know, with psychiatrists and blah, 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 I just decided that that was not a risk I wanted to take. Right. Because I'm like, I'm already persistently depressed and I haven't been suicidal and I don't want to risk right. even possibly being suicidal personally. Yeah, um, so it just wasn't worth it for me. It's pretty messed up that some of the medications do have that that side effect like uh, i mean what is its purpose even if it's going to have that side effect but um like it's all a part of your per- brain chemistry yeah. well you know it's also on it's it's so different with each person right and you are it is trial and error too and i'm just like i understand that and so i opted to do therapy and the therapy definitely did help um i did cognitive behavioral therapy it definitely um did help the major depression um it definitely did because i don't know it was a really what it fundamentally did for me was like restored my hope mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it wasn't like it was rocket science or anything. And because I have the background in counseling, some stuff I did knew, some stuff I didn't know. Mm. But going through that process, um, and I, I did cognitive behavioral therapy for six months. Um, and I did, I went every week um, for six months. And it just, it restored my hope because that was the, the thing for me that I was, I, I was not accustomed to feeling hopeless. And so that was a major, um, it was very, very dark mm. for me because I was not with my persistent depression. I was like, you know, I feel depressed, but I know that, you know, in some amount of time I'll feel differently. Like I know I'll have like my, my battle joy is right. basically I, I have my moments where I feel good. So it's OK. I'll keep chugging along. I'll have a moment where I feel good. And then with the major when the major depression set in, I didn't have that. It was just like dark. And I told my wife, I was like, it's like I'm in a dark room. I don't know where the light switch is. I know that there's a door and a light switch and stuff. I know there's windows or something, but it's so pitch black yeah. that I don't know where anything is and I want to get out of the room. So my me wanting to get out of the room was like, I'm not suicidal, but um, I don't know how. And I just can't even fathom like how I will even figure it out. Hmm. So that was hopelessness. For um, me, like I, I the, the way I can distinguish times that are major depression versus just my standard um, persistent depression is that I, again, it's the same where it's not like a pseudoscidal thing. I don't have the desire to, to self-harm and in that case, but I do have the fantasy of not waking up and feeling like it would be a lot better if I just didn't wake up. So it's it's not like I don't even think about it as a wanting to die, but a not wanting to wake up. I don't know how to I don't know how else to say it. It's mm-hmm. something I talk about a lot of my with my therapist too. Where um, I've had two therapists that I, I have been understanding about it, and I've had a couple that have been like, well, now they want to do extra evaluations and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. The thing is, I so I do I do have a dark sense of 
humor, which I don't know if, if it's just my nature or if it is kind of born out of this depression, but um, because I come from a culture, a Japanese culture, in which suicide isn't viewed as necessarily a negative in the way that it is viewed here in Western culture, um, you know, for, for old Japanese, it's a way of restoring honor to your family and, mm-hmm. and things like that. For modern day Japanese, it, it is still a version of that where it is kind of a restoring honor, but it's also um, what you're finding now is a realization. Like if a person feels that they've gotten to a point where they can't real realize the level of achievement they wish to hit and then and commits mm-hmm. suicide as a result, there is it's not quite the same as restoring honor so much as like preventing dishonor, if that right, makes sense. Right. And so like, mm-hmm. I come from a culture, even though I'm from America and I've come from Western culture, I did grow up uh, immersed in Japanese culture too. So I like my media and thing, you know, the things I ingested as a child give me a different perspective on suicide. So I I'm I don't always have a natural reaction of negativity when I hear about suicide or someone's desire yeah, to have suicide. Same. If someone came to me and said they want to commit suicide, I'm going to ask a bunch of questions to figure out what we're dealing with. Are we dealing with just straight up, you know, hopelessness and stuff like that? Or if there is something, mm-hmm. a different element to it. And and so for me, like when I try to explain to my therapist, this feeling that I go through during major depression, which is I don't want to wake up, but I don't want to die. I don't want to kill right. myself. If anything, the way I describe it is more like, and maybe this because I'm a sci-fi um, geek, but it's like, I want to go into stasis until mm-hmm. the depression mm-hmm. is over is and that, then yeah. wake me up. Like, so, Can like, I just hibernate? Right. And so like, <laughs> is it I, summer yet? Okay, I, cool. Is it spring? <laughs> I have this really vivid sort of, I guess it would be kind of like a fantasy of like, okay, major depression is set in, life is shitty, and it's going to be shitty for about four months. <laughs> so you just put me in a tube on a spaceship somewhere and I go into deep sleep. And then when I come back, not only is everything fixed and better, but I actually also emerge not depressed anymore. And, and right. so this is kind of a repetitive um, fantasy or a dream or something that I have. Uh, and and when I talk to my current therapist, is, you know, I'll say, like, I'm in that moment right now where I, I'm ready for stasis. You know, I'm ready to right. go into this thing. And and she's the first one that's really, really understanding about it. You know, uh, she she at least seems to identify that there isn't, like, a cause for concern where I am. Right. Um, what, I, what my concern like with medications are is that, one, because of my tolerance, um, I don't seem to feel their effectiveness. I have tried it a couple of times. Um, and if it does work for people, then I, like, I'm absolutely please use your medication I'm, I'm definitely a supporter of medications uh, that are working but I'm not a supporter of a medication for medication's sake and in my case I have the first time I tried it for about six months and I could not detect any changes um, any significant changes that at least in terms of my mental health but the kind of stuff that I was seeing is like weight gain and um, you know different things like that so I wasn't seeing anything that was that felt helpful and I weaned myself off of them and in my most recent bout of trying it and this was just in the last couple months it was the same thing I had it in my system for a couple months because you do if you take medication you have to get it in your system for a couple months until mm-hmm. you start to see effects mm-hmm. and again I was hitting that place where I wasn't seeing effects but I also come from addicts uh, you know my my mom and my dad both were uh, alcoholics and drug addicts uh, and yeah. and I don't why I don't exhibit any addictive qualities I have always had a fear that I just haven't found the thing yet, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, get out my head. <laughs> so like, I mean, I'm, no, real. I'm like not even trying to test the waters. Like I used to, when I was younger, I would make the joke that like my parents made vices not fun for me. So experiment, like my rebellion was being straight, like not straight LGBT, but straight 
like clean. Like, like not yeah. Yeah. So like, I never actually uh, developed an uh, uh, a liking to alcohol. I will occasionally drink to be like a pal or so that a friend is not drinking alone. But you know, it's usually something rum based or fruity based. It's something that tastes like Kool Aid. You know, like nothing that is like legitimately like I'm not a person that ever wants to get drunk. I have gone through my patches of time where I like tried to drink to that. To, to get to that point. Um, and I had a really scary night once where I was with a, a few friends and they were all big drinkers. And we pretty much like we spent time out on a lake and all the way into the nighttime where we were actually back at their house. Everybody drank, you know, their weight times 10 in alcohol and, and including myself. And it was only about 10 or 11 o'clock at night and everybody was passed out on the ground in the, in the house. And I was wide awake. And the only thing that I was, I had, and I drink as much as they did. And that was back when you're like a kid and you're doing stupid shit like Mad Dog 2020 and you know like you know what I'm saying like the real like real oh, shitty alcohol straight and, malt uh, liquor you know like it's just all the bad st- like all the just cheap ass where we you know we're poor kids and we're doing what we can do thing and um and I was wide awake and the only effect that I really get is I get really red because I'm Japanese so and we don't have the enzyme that breaks up alcohol but I mix so I can I don't get as fucked up as other Asians do um, but I get really red my lips get bigger if you can imagine and I get hot and I just start sweating a lot so that's like the only effect that alcohol really has on me and then within an hour I feel back to my normal like once my f- my face is no longer red you can guarantee I could probably blow a breathalyzer and it, nothing would come there would be no evidence uh, so I push it out of my system really fast and that night freaked me out because I was calculating the time it was like you know seven hours straight of just non-stop drinking and barely any eating like you know maybe a couple of hot dogs right. and a grill or something mm. like that and I, and and I was looking at people that were like um the biggest person that was in that group he was probably sitting at around two 60 you know and he was passed out and we were matching each other throughout the day so i'm like what's wrong with me <laughs> that i'm I've okay right those, now um have one of those moments before where um because my tolerance is so high um i do have addiction that runs in my family um my not my mom but just like other family members and so i also i i don't like taking medicine i do have this fear of like becoming addicted to mm-hmm. to anything so um i yeah, so that's part of my aversion. I ha- I do have like somewhat of an aversion to medicine for that reason, because I'm just like, I don't want to be popping pills. I don't want, and I've seen people, you know, close to me and people in my family who just like became so reliant on pills and it's, it's just an addiction thing. So I'm just like, okay, I'm not, I, I recognize even though I'm, I may not exhibit certain things like what you said, um, I do recognize, I acknowledge there is some type of propensity there um, to you know, be addicted to something. So I'm yeah. not trying to have it. The thing is, and, like, I don't uh, want to find out that I got that gene. Like, I'm hoping right. that gene just skipped me, but I don't want right. to find out that I just have. I'm it. not trying to trigger, you know, anything. Exactly. And I mean, but I had my moments. I had my moments like when I was in college. I remember this one time I because I've never been drunk. I, I've never me been neither. drunk and been drunk. I can drink and I actually do drink. So um, but and I can get my drink on. But this time in college, I was like, I'm going to deliberately attempt to get drunk. <laughs> like it was my mission i don't know why i was just like i want to see how much it's gonna take yeah partying um and i will party in this i will party a lot and stuff but i still i was i was more so like the mama like i would kind of monitor everybody else and make yeah, sure they're all right me. they're getting all drunk I hate but i would drink and not be too. drunk <laughs> yeah it was a lot but um so yeah i remember this one night though i'm like i'm gonna get drunk this is gonna be my mission um and i drank so much. I drank so much and I did not get drunk. And um, it got to a point where it's scary. I remember I went to like the bathroom and um, I was like, 
I just kind of looked in the mirror and I was just like, I, I was, I was like, I don't want to drink anymore. I got so tired of the mm. taste. It was like, I don't like so, so much sweet stuff. And it was like, you know, we're in college. We ain't got no damn money. We're drinking yeah, like mixed drink, drinks and drinks. taking shots and shit of cheap liquor. And I just remember, um, being like, I don't want anything else sweet. Um, it was like, I didn't like the taste in my mouth. And I was like, I've drank so much and I'm still not drunk. And it freaked me out. Yeah. I was like, why? So it was like what you said about what's wrong with me. I was just like, why the fuck am I not drunk? Like, yeah. I mean, I, that was the first thought is I was thinking there was something wrong that was mm-hmm. happening in me, or at least that that was the precursor to my potential of being an alcoholic. Because if, if I, I had the wrong mentality in that moment and thought, well, shit, I can't get drunk, so I could just do whatever right. I want. But then, you know, the sense part kicked in where it's like, you know, I don't even like it that much anyway and right. um it costs a lot of damn money so i could save like, all of my point? money you know i didn't even i was just like what was the point like at, at that point i'm just like i've drank so much um i'm like what's the point of me continuing and then it was like i'm like okay i'm not drunk and i was just like why why would i even want to be so it, I, I was like really my thing was it, I, it freaked me out because i was like maybe something's wrong with me and then i was like you know what i'll fuck around and get alcohol poisoning and right. won't be drunk you right. know so See, that's, that's, that's like, the other part too like, you know so it's trying um, to like stay Save off addiction or at least finding out that you did inherit that that gene, but at the same time, like preventing other medical things, you know, and and what if we, you know, you and I did start to take um, medicines for our depression, but it actually triggers one of those side effects that aren't really awaken us when we're when we're normal. Like what if we became suicidal or started having suicidal thoughts based off of the medication, but we don't seem to have them in our in our, you know, right. So that's my thing. I'm like, it's not really it's not really worth for me. um, I'm not willing to take the risk. Um, I, and I and I and I've seen um, medication work for people, and so I'm not anti-medication no. in general. It's just that I just decided once I really did my own homework and based on what I know about myself, um, to me it just wasn't worth it because of. Now I will say though, if 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 the major if the major depression was my default, then I would try it because at that point, mm-hmm. like yeah, I'm just like I have something because I was so terrified like and some people they may think that it's like an exaggeration or something but I'm like I was legitimately terrified it I had never felt like that before it Mm -hmm. felt so heavy and so dark that I was just like I don't know what to do with this. It and in that situation, strange. I'm like, I got to do something. And that was the time where I really, I can see, I was like, okay, if the, if the therapy doesn't help me not feel like this, I'm going to take some, some kind of medicine. I'm going to mm-hmm. try. I was like, I'm willing to try whatever I need to try to not feel like this. I can't, I couldn't sustain feeling like this. And I was just kind of looking at the impact it was having on my life. And mm-hmm. I was really scared. Um, so it's, I mean, for me, look what at- digs me out is something like something that I'm passionate about. So what dug me out of my major depression bout that I was kind of having between January and February, uh, February or January, March was really like finally saying, OK, I'm going to pull the trigger on militantly mixed. Um, and once that started happening, I started to have value like in turn, like self-value and that's the kind of thing that dug me out now i have had some dark really dark days since then absolutely but i don't feel like i'm necessarily in the major depression mode at the moment um and i feel like it's because i had that thing and so for me my medicine and quotation fingers would be militantly mixed brought that out to me and i was even more probably productive or even more energized because black radical queer 
have been too. So because I've been working in, on and off, I've been working on Militantly Mixed, you know, for a couple years. And it really was only in February that I started to get serious. But I gave myself a way wide berth of when I had to actually get this thing launched. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I started talking to you about Mind on My Melanin. And then that translated into Black Radical Queer. And once Black Radical Queer, we started working together on that, something snapped into place. And I was able to kind of zero focus. And and that's another part of me is that I need to have to feel beholden to somebody or to something to to keep me motivated sometimes. Because if it's for myself, I can't always follow through. Um, But if it is for, if I feel like I'm letting other people down, I mean, I think this is the Japanese guilt that comes through. You know, you don't want to dishonor the ancestors. Uh, So uh, like this thing really kicks in where it's like, I need to do this because if I don't, you know, what's going to, Javia's thing's not going to get done. And so you getting involved when you did was the flip switch for me and I got out of the really really dark patches and you know I've sent you messages it, it gives you something to it gives you something to focus on which is like with the persistent you know depression like what I was mentioning earlier um, one of the things when it says like oh it's characterized by bouts of joy because you have something to look forward to yeah. and so and if you're so used to that pessimism that comes with the persistent depression um it canceled is something that can help combat that pessimism uh, so that you do have something because for me I mean it is it's like once I'm interested in something I dive in head first so when we started talking about the podcast um part of me like for my motivation as opposed to it being a little bit more difficult for me to well it's like if I if I have to be accountable accountable to someone that matters but I don't know it's like once I said hey like it's going down. We talked about it and I'm like, hey, I'm committed to doing this. Like, I know you said you really want to do this um, and it's important to me. Let's do it. And like not just talk about it, but like here's a goal. So then for me, I set goals for myself. So I'm like, OK, well, we said we're going to do this. I'm like, OK, how many episodes do I need to have banked before you'll feel comfortable launching? Like, you know, as a producer, when she told me, I was like, OK, um, I'll have those done by such and such a date. Man, you so, get that stuff. Like you, you basically put your announcement out and in like four hours had 16 things booked. <laughs> Like you were you were not joking around when we got started. <laughs> but that's part of for me, part of what um helps me in terms of like yeah. still functioning, like functioning in the midst of that persistent depression is goal setting. And I didn't realize how much it would help that structure would help me until um I got a mentor and stuff. But once I started doing that and mm-hmm. breaking my bigger goals up into smaller goals, um that has that structure has helped me to be able yeah. to still function at a higher level despite the depression. That's a good point. That's the what has made a big difference so I'm like okay well we said we're gonna do this so our goal our goal may be to launch but my goal is let me have such and such number of episodes Mm -hmm. or let me get this number recorded this weekend you know that kind of thing so it really does make a difference it it Um, does and I think um I think that continued relationship between us has been has been pretty helpful I mean I know we're only a few months in still but and we have ways to go um to to have like you know big success but the success that I I feel that we're experiencing right now is is that one we're doing it we're being consistent we're keeping going we're continuing to motivate each other we're getting ideas that we're not keeping for ourselves but we instantly share to each other like oh would would this work for our thing would this work for your thing you know like we're constantly doing that and keeping um, all those little things are kind of stacking up and and it's like building brick bricks of a wall to kind of 
stave off the major depression from from hitting again. And not to say that it's not coming back. It's definitely going to come back. I mean, I, I absolutely know what my, um, for the most part, I know what my triggers are. Every now and then I'm kind of blindsided by something I didn't expect. That, that kind of sends me in that direction. But um, like this relationship and these podcasts are helping me, br- you know, put brick by brick against up against what could be coming, you know, in terms of the dark, the really dark times. Um, right. But with that being said, we've done it again where we've crossed over into an hour and a half without even <laughs> trying. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty, I have a feeling that it's about that time yeah. to um, be wrapping up. I know like we really, so to kind of like wrap up, um, we really wanted to, of course, for one, introduce mine on my melanin because that was the, the catalyst for this whole podcast um, journey anyway, but also because mental health is always a pressing issue. And, um, and for people of color too, we do have a lot of things that um, impact our mental health. And so I think it's important for us to know that hey, you know, we're not alone in that. Um, And I have some type of representation in that too, because it's not something that we necessarily see represented. And so we want to destigmatize it um, and also just have some type of community around that. Um, Because it's just like any other um, medical condition. Um, If you have, you know, if if someone sees you with some type of physical issue or some type of autoimmune issue or something like that, Mm -hmm. then that's accepted. But um, a lot of times mental health is seen as kind of like an invisible illness. So people like, oh, but you look fine. Oh, but you seem fine um, without knowing that there's this other thing that's operating and it's always operating. um, And that's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, And it, and we, and how, however you feel about it, um, about your particular situation is valid. Um, I definitely have very, very, very (laughs) mixed feelings. Um, I won't even necessarily say mixed per se. Um, it's not mixed. It's fucking sucks. (laughs) I don't, I don't want it. You know, I don't want it, but I also feel like it's very important to have visibility around it because I don't want anyone, you know, let's say someone is in that place that I was in when I felt like, Hey, I'm in this dark room. Mm -hmm. There's no light. I don't even know how light could ever get in. Like, you know, that kind of thing. I don't want them to feel alone in that because I felt so isolated and I felt so like, no one could possibly understand that. And it was just so overwhelming. And I don't want anyone else to feel that way. And we're both very much my community minded people. I mean, I think just by nature of the types of things we talk about, um, you know, you being radical, me being militant, I think we kind of have defined those two words very similarly. We just use different words. Um, we, we feel we are personally improved by helping those around us or those that are like us. And, you know, you always say black women be for everything and I've had a, a kind of a version of that which is just like I you know it, it's POC first I guess like I I'm w- much more going to gravitate towards trying to help a person of color over non-person of color directly because I think they have a lot more resources than we have um, and you know it's not that I don't have white friends or white people in my life that, or even white family members um, that I care about but I know that they have easier access to things than we do and, mm-hmm. and through militantly mixed and through black radical queer through mind on my melanin or or any of the n- things that end up coming down the pipe with with main hustle media i think the important things is that we are here um and we're i don't know if the experience is the same for you yet javia but for me i'm getting strangers and you know I, we're not we're, i'm not pulling big numbers yet on militantly mixed downloads but i am getting strangers reaching out to me telling me that they feel seen um in terms of the mixed race stuff and there's a lot of trauma that we haven't even started to tap yet on that show that people experience as as being kind of invisible as mixed race people. And when I get those messages, and I've gotten a a number of them, when they come at me and they're just like, 
you know, so-and-so told this story and it was exactly like something that happened to me and I feel seen and I feel valued and I reached out because I wanted to let you know it had an effect. That is another step in helping me heal. You know, um, and if if what I'm out here doing is giving that to somebody else, if they are having these moments of being able to heal because of something that I'm producing, um, then now I know it's my job. Like it is now my responsibility to keep this going, to help my my community, to help my people. And right. the thing about our communities is that we don't even know how many people need us, but we just know that they're out there. And we want to provide and help in every way, in any way that we can. And, you know, right now, I mean, it is an interconnected type of um, it is something where we are very much interconnected and intertwined mm-hmm. um, in each other's journeys. And I think that's really, really important. And that's part of the re- the whole reason why I even went into human services and why I wanted to do counseling and kind of like what they call the helping professions mm-hmm. um, is because I I do want to be a vessel for that, um, for helping someone feel seen, um, feel heard, not feel alone, um, because we really do need that. And the thing is, when you know, when you look at um, basically white people, they have that license to be nuanced and to um, be full people. And and we're full people, too. And we're nuanced. So um, it's really just like exhibiting that and showing like, hey, I am a black woman. I am a radical woman, a queer woman, a woman who deals with some type of chronic mental health issue and other kinds of issues um, because I'm not the only one. And so we really get to have that visibility in one another um, and have that nuance. And it's like, hey, it's okay to be nuanced. We know we're nuanced. Um, So I think it's really important that we um, have that visibility uh, because so much comes from visibility. People's um, lives and perspectives and all kinds of things are changed just by being like, you know what, this person exists and so I feel seen. And I know I felt that. I felt that with people before. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to be able to provide that. And I think with uh, with MM, Millicently Mixed, with BRQ um, and with Mind of My Melanin, they are all vessels for that. Right. So for everybody out there, if this episode has sparked something in you or touched something in you, if you if you need to if you feel the need to reach out, uh, you can you can hit either of us up on our social media that you're familiar with through our podcast, Black Red Queer, uh, with the QWR on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, for me, militantly mixed for Twitter and Instagram. We also do have social media platforms for Mind on My Melanin, which it just mm-hmm. is um, at Mind on My They Melanin. exist. <laughs> exist. There's nothing on there. We, have, because a, we have a Gmail too. So, I right. mean, if, if people need to email, um, we will definitely make sure we kind of like post some resources and stuff like mm-hmm. that because mental health resources are definitely important. But if you just need to, let's say, send us something and say, hey, what's your take on this? Or, um, hey, I just, you know, want to be heard, want to be seen. We do have a Mind on My Melanin Gmail, so we can be emailed on that it's just mind of my melanin at gmail um and mind of my melanin on instagram we do have you know the page that exists and the twitter mm-hmm. um so that way we can be contacted but i i mean we are accessible in that way but we'll also make sure that we mention resources mm-hmm. as we explore kind of different uh mental health topics and send us things that you're aware of too because that can that can help us um grow and develop our resources if you are a mental health professional a person of color and you would like to be on our what we're trying to build is a list of of people that we can go to um, give us the city that you're in the city and state that you're in what your what your job functions are and how you can be helpful we'll get that on our uh, main hustle media website eventually which is under construction it's the, it's the longest part of, of getting um, 
all these this podcast network up and running is getting our website together but we will get those resources out and make them available to people as time comes on um so yes please do reach out to us and for for this episode of mind on my melanin thank you for listening and we hope that this becomes helpful to you as we release future episodes down uh, periodically throughout both of black radical queer and militantly mixed i guess that's a wrap all right, <laughs> I know my melanin. Uh, well, we shall return with another segment. I mean, we have plenty of things to talk about, so be on the lookout for more segments. All right. Militantly Mixed is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Johnson. Music is by David Bogan, The One. And if you like what you heard on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.